The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. Hi and welcome to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast, a weekly show about the Port Adelaide Footy Club. I'm your host, Maca19, and joining me, as always, we've got co-host, Fishing Rick. How are you, buddy? Oh, I'm pretty good, Dad. What about you? <laughs> Very good, mate. Very good. Better late than never. That's what we say. Uh, good work. I'm sure you're uh, a little bit tired. Oh, a little bit tired. Yeah, yeah. we drove back up north today, so it's uh, it was a bit of a long trip, a couple of stops. So, yeah, looking forward to no sleep for the next, uh, well, 21 years, probably. So. <laughs> good stuff. And joining us on the podcast again is the lovely Portia. Hello, how's it going? Good, good. Great to have you back on. Thank you very much. Well, look, let's get uh, straight into it with our love and hate. One thing we loved, one thing we hated in and around the Port Adelaide Footy Club this week. Portia, I'll start with you. Um, I loved that we're playing for premierships. That's the main thing I got out of the weekend. Uh, we uh, Obviously, you could see in the last quarter we had... Um, that little bit extra we needed at the time, but it looks like we're just uh, taking it one, as they say in the classics, one week at a time and just trying to get to, in a good position for finals. So I'm very happy with that. Um, I guess my biggest hate is uh, I just sort of beginning to worry that the guys are starting to fall apart and uh, that could be a pretty bad second part of the year, I suppose, if it keeps happening. Um, obviously, Alice Springs, different different uh, temperature and all that sort of thing, but uh, yeah, I'm just getting a little bit nervous now. We're two games clear, and of course, that's when you start thinking things are going to go wrong. That's my hate, I think. It's interesting, though. I mean, the guys that are falling apart have probably historically been some of our more injury-prone guys over the last couple of years. But I guess from a from our perspective, a lot of them have been more the fringe-type players necessarily than our massive starting 22 players, which might be a, a good thing. Um, from our winning perspective, not from the individual players' perspective. Yeah, well, I guess the other thing to think about, though, is if you talk about it being mostly our regularly injured players and you're looking at people like um, some of the ones still in the side that we're very reliant on right now, like Robbie Gray, the biggest candidate in the world, you know. Um, gee, I hope he can hold up because he's been in fantastic form, but he's one of those guys that is, as you say, regularly injured. So uh, yep. there's a couple of people to be nervous about still, I'd say. Yep. Yeah, and I... It was interesting too. I spoke to a uh, an unnamed former AFL player, oh, and what's at his the name? start, no, I'm not saying. And <laughs> at the start at the start of the season, and um, and I was saying to him that I, you know, what did you think? I heard that the Port Boys are, are regularly running this amount of kilometres a week, and and he his he was saying that. It would, he thought it would be unsustainable uh, to be able to run that in their training load without, you know, injuries occurring. So, and, you know, I reflected on that conversation this week thinking maybe he was right. I thought he was wrong because we are going so well. But, you know, maybe that training workload is starting to catch up with them now. I think it's definitely concerning the amount of injuries that we're getting, but a lot of them are sort of impact injuries and not really anything to do with our training load. I mean, you can't help someone kneeing you in the back of the head sort of thing and getting concussed and True. someone someone falling on your ankle like what happened to Boke and all that sort of stuff. I mean, that's just sort of luck of the draw. Mm. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
it is luck of the draw, but I suppose if those are the luck of the draw ones, then I suppose the, the more expected ones, like, you know, actual um, soft tissue injuries and the like, I suppose they're not happening. So either they're not going to happen or we do them. Mm. So the positive is actually... Yeah, the positive is that, yeah, well, the boys are actually being quite resilient, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully it continues. That's hopefully. It. I'm just saying I hate the nervousness around it. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's your love and hate, Rick? Uh, look, my love this week is, uh, you know, rising against adversity, I guess, and, and winning ugly. Um, you know, I mean, I'd rather a win than a loss. And even though the game was uninspiring uh, inspiring and way below my expectation on how I was hoping we performed, uh, we got the win. And that's been pretty co- common commentary this week with a lot of the footy experts. And, and I tend to agree with it. We, uh, you know, we got the four points and that's all that matters to me. Um, we're, we're still atop of the tree, two games clear, thanks to our rivals across the road uh, knocking off Gold Coast. So, you know, that's a great buffer that we've got coming into the second half of the season. Yep. Agree with that. And uh, my hate, it's a little bit different, I guess, is random ball. I don't, and I'd love to hear <laughs> Porsche's thought on this one. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't. No idea. Um, the Matty White kick in. I I don't know if it's something that's going to be used too often, but I just, I don't know, I watched it and I, at the time I thought, mm, that's interesting but to me it, um, you know, isolating Matty White in the guts, I guess, and trying to get him to run on to a long ball um, to me is a little bit random and could, you know, could be very risky as a, as a set play because obviously we don't have a round ball so um, we don't know how the ball's going to bounce and uh, yeah, you know, get the wrong bounce like we did with that set play, the ball's going to come back probably in defence really quickly and we'll be unstructured for it. So yep. I'm not sure if I'm completely sold on that set play. Uh, um, Sun Tzu and the Art of War uh, always recommended assuming formlessness, so I suppose that's a way of uh, describing random ball, as you say. Um, so it's not necessarily a bad thing, but if you become over-reliant on any one option, obviously people are going to focus on it. So mm. as long as it's only occasional, it should be fine. What about you, Macca? I've got no comment really on that at all. No, I was talking about your love and hate. Oh, love and hate, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, there you go. My love, a um, bit of a personal one, obviously, it's bringing a new port supporter into the world. Uh, watched mm-hmm. the game in the hospital um, on a, a TV screen about the same size as a Nokia 3210. Um, have no idea what happened during the game. Couldn't tell any players apart, but it was still great. Um, my wife had the child a few hours after the, the game finished. Yeah, you know, just a fantastic thing. I loved it. I can't believe <laughs> you're watching the bloody football while she's in labour. Well, she wasn't really in labour. Is that basically that point, what so. I was going to say? Is that what you're saying? Well, she was in a holding pattern. In, uh... She must. She must be one very understanding and supporting woman. <laughs> Actually, worked out really well because things weren't really <laughs> happening as we expected them to happen when we went into hospital. So we were in a little bit of a holding pattern for about six or seven hours. Um, had the time to watch the game, do the review, and then bang, straight after the review finished, the waters broke and all hell broke loose. So it was great. Good timing. Uh, well done, gives, Mrs. Macca. I think it gives Macca a very strong position the next time a footballer says, I'm going to miss a, a final or a match because my wife's pregnant and going to have a baby. I think you can say, oh, I wouldn't do that. I even watched football when I was in waiting for my wife to go through labour. Uh, <laughs> That's it. He's got the hardcore cred now. <laughs> It's so Australian. That's right. 
That's it. Uh, Look, my hate, I had something, but I'm going to change it now um, with the news today that Andrew Moore um, is out for another uh, couple of months with a shoulder yeah. injury and shoulder surgery. Um, from memory, he did it during the St Kilda game. He got a bit of a stinger on the shoulder and I don't know, maybe we should have uh, gone down the surgery option back then as opposed to now because it's kind of screwed over his whole year, um, missing five or six weeks back then and also another six or seven weeks now as well. Wasn't one of the requirements of the uh, reserves in the SNFL agreement that we can't send people off early for surgery? It is, but I assume that means like the last round, <laughs> not before the season's uh, even begun. I don't know. I think it would apply at any time of year, really. If, if you're saying, oh, look, he could play, you know, he could be okay in 10 weeks' time and play some SNFL footy. I, I don't know. I, I, look, I don't know what the rule is there, but uh, I remember back in the day, Collingwood used to do a whole bunch of really early send-offs for surgery. I think um, Anthony Rocker was the classic one. I think he got footy for surgery, voluntary surgery that wasn't necessary, about round 14 or 15, I think. Okay, um, yep. So, yeah, I, that would be, a, you know, there's still heaps of football left in the year then, and I suppose that's... Andrew Moore sending him off that early, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that clause wouldn't apply, but it's one of the things we did agree to, so maybe that yeah. is a factor. True. So when Collingwood was down the bottom of the ladder? Yeah, they It were. didn't matter? Yeah, yeah, but it would have mattered to their reserves team if they'd had one. Mm. Well, look, I think it's a good point you bring out there, Portia, but I guess from our club's perspective, if he needed to have surgery, you know, let's oh, get yeah. him in, irrespective of what the SANFL think. I mean, you've got to do what's right for the player, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I think we should give Mac a leeway and have two hates. I want to know what his other one is. Yeah, me too. Well, my other one was uh, the poor form of our leaders on the weekend. Um, mm. Just with, uh, uh, I mean, a number of them had some pretty big last quarters, but pretty much all our gun players were down and had pretty dirty days, and it was really left up to all the fringe guys um, to keep us in it and, and try and win us the game. Isn't that a good thing in a way, though? It is, but uh, you don't want all your star players looking completely disinterested at the one time, I don't think. Do you think they look disinterested? I thought some of them did. I mean, Wingard was absolutely shocking before he got concussed. Mm. Brad Ebert looked like something wasn't right there. I I, I don't know if he was unwell or something, but, I mean, they they highlighted that bump in the last quarter where Tony Shaw was having a dig at him, so pretty much saying it was pathetic. But um, to me, he just looked bloody knackered. Yeah. Um, You know, it was was so un-Brad Ebert-like. You know, I'd... With the uh, level of consistency and work rate he's put up there, I just can't see him having an off week like that unless there is a reason. No. Yeah. So, but yeah, that was made reference that um, those players came into the game unwell as well. So maybe there was something going through the club because we did look pretty flat for a, a fair chunk of the game. Good segue to get into the game, I guess, Mackett. Is, mate. It wasn't pretty. It was pretty damn frustrating. But in the end, uh, there's not really anything wrong with winning ugly sometimes. Um, better late than never. You know, we came good in the last quarter. We won 14 goals, 11 to 11 goals, 9. Um, our only multiple goal scorers were Schultz, Gray and Westhoff. Um, and it was uh, for me, it was only really bulky out of our star players that really sort of, um, you know, put in some sort of effort. You know, he got injured early in the game and came on and had a ripping second half to try and get the rest of the team going. But all our other gun players, they just look completely disinterested out on the park this weekend. Going from guys like Carlisle and Homsch through to the midfielders like Ebert and Polek and Wingard as well. 
I guess one thing I'd take out of that is that um, one thing that reminded me about, just going back a week, reminded me about the Hawthorne game was how much it was like round 22, I think 2002, where we had that absolute corker match against Brisbane for top spot. Yep. And I kind of feel that if this had been the first week of finals, we probably would have had a similar result to what we had in 2002. I think that the guys were just completely spent. I yep. think uh, that obviously playing against Melbourne, they're, they're still not really all that rated, so you wouldn't. it'd be hard to get yourself up after the last week. And in Alice Springs as well, you know, slightly different climate, well out of the comfort zone. I can certainly see why we would have uh, had that dip. Um, I'm not excusing, yeah. but I can see why it would occur. Yeah. It was interesting that... Mm. Interesting, Hawthorne also had a um, bit of a letdown game against GWS, so maybe oh, yeah. the court Hawthorne game really did take it out of both teams. Wouldn't be surprised. Well, it was a brutal contest, that Hawks game. Mm. 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 Absolutely. But, I mean, I, you pointed out Macra during, on the forum in the review, and, um, and I highlighted it last week as well, um, and I didn't see any change this week. You know, I just... I'm not seeing any real strong leading, especially from Jay Schultz in the forward line. It seemed, seems yeah. to be just going for the specky, and I don't know what's going on there. I mean, he's his bread and butter to me is leading out hard and and repeat leads with the, you know, with the odd specky. But it just seems to be everything has to be bombed up high, and we're just going for the big, the big mark. Yeah, it seems to be a concerted effort in a, a bit of a change in how we're setting up up forward. I think and. As you said, um, it all just seems to be bombing long to Schultz and he's up against you know three or four opponents trying to take a specky all the time in the goal square and it's just not going to be conducive to, to great footy, you know, doing that long term. And it seems that we're pushing everyone else out of the forward 50 and, and leaving Schultz in there uh, for that big bomb forward. And it's only really been the last sort of three or four weeks that we've tried to do that. I'm not sure it's working. Um, maybe, I don't know, isn't it working? Because, I mean, we're winning games, so if, even if he doesn't have necessarily the fantastic result on the board, you know, it's keeping the ball in the area long enough that uh, the rest of the team can catch up and do something, I would have thought. Fair point, but I think it comes down to something that you've mentioned in the past where you want some sort of structure to how you're kicking goals, and if it's just completely random every time you kick a goal, then that's really not all that great, I don't think. Oh. Yeah, look, I totally agree with that, but um, we can only play the players we've got and uh, we don't have that second key forward, I'd like to say. So, yeah, we make do with what we can do. It's working, but I think it can work better. I think we had 61 inside 50s to 43, and when I saw that stat, I nearly fell over because I didn't <laughs> I didn't think we had that many inside 50s. So I think oh. we could probably be a, a little bit more efficient with it. And I, I think it just... I mean, to me, John Butcher would be that big that tall forward that you just bomb long to because even if he doesn't mark it, he does bring it to ground and he doesn't get beaten that often. And yeah. you know, Schultz, to, Schultz, to me, is uh, the lead-up forward, but I would, think. would Butcher get the same sort of respect from his opponents that Schultz would? So, I mean, Schultz, you know, he, he can be extremely dangerous when he when he gets on his... Uh, he gets, has a good game. But uh, Butcher, you know, you know you put one person on him, right? Um, well, he, wouldn't but, have that, he wouldn't have that same effect of drawing a bunch of opponents against him. Well, that'd be a win for us, though, wouldn't it? I'd be happy. I'd, no, I mean, for all of all of John's uh, deficiencies, I'd be happy if um, if we're getting the ball kicked to him and it's a one-on-one, you know. And if you have a if you have one or two crummers running past, because he'll bring he'll bring the ball to ground most of the time. I I know, but will he mark it? Because if it's not marking it, then one-on-one is just a one-on-one. But he wouldn't be one-on-one if they didn't think they could win that one-on-one themselves. You see. Uh, the reason I'm saying Butcher would get one-on-one is not because of some, you know, thing that we'd love to see Butcher one-on-one, but because the opponent would probably think we can probably beat him one-on-one. Whereas Schultz, I think there's a bit more doubt about. 
um, he's been extremely solid for us. And there's been a few games this year he's just absolutely you know kicked a, a bag. Um, so he gets more attention. That's an inevitability when you've got a senior forward and a, a younger forward. Um, I think we saw that a lot, you know, in various teams throughout the years. Um, Jonathan Brown was exactly a brilliant example of someone that benefited from that in Brisbane Lions premiership years. He was not considered the main forward, you know, that was Alistair Lynch. And uh, I think that he managed to not have two people hanging off the whole, hanging off the whole time. So I think that helps a bit. But yeah, I thought you were going to use the analogy of Tread Ray and Damon White. Ah, uh, not really, unless I was going to compare Damon White to Butcher, which unfortunately right now would not be too unfair and probably might be unfavourable to Damon White. So, uh, I don't know. If you're going on form, let's face it, you know, Damon White, he was a very simple player, but he did actually perform reasonably well. Yep. Well, look, we had a great start. We kicked the first four goals. Um, we seemed to be well on top in the midfield. We're getting things done up forward. Um, do you think we took the foot off the pedal, or was it more a case of Melbourne just working themselves back in the game? I think a bit of both. Yep. <laughs> Sit I on the fence, that's great. Yeah, oh, look, I'm, I'm <laughs> taking your spot. You're going to have to choose something else. Um, basically, I think that uh, in the first quarter, it was really obvious, for example, that Melbourne, I reckon Melbourne went into our forward 50 more times than we did um, as far as their clearance and going back. But... Um, I think we were just trying to maintain that lead. I think that's really what it was. And I think Melbourne, yeah, they got back into it, absolutely. But I think that the Port players were just trying to play as much as they had to because they were exhausted, you know, every commentator was talking about. And it was quite obvious, you know, anyone watching it could see the Port players were exhausted. So they are only going to play as hard as they had to. Um, We're multiple games clear, so we don't give a snuff about percentage anymore. There would not be no reason at all to go out there and try and get a 10-goal win. Um, Yeah, except for the fact it feels nice. But, uh, yeah, I think it's a bit of both. And I think that that... The fact that Melbourne knew we weren't going to bury them gave them that bit of confidence to keep going, you know. It just gave them that constant incentive like, uh, uh, I don't know, putting a carrot in front of them, just saying, hey, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. And that's what that does, you know. You, you, that's how you get these close games. And every, you know, let's let's talk honestly here, every premiership side does that. They have these uh, games where they just constantly almost bait the opposition into getting closer and getting closer. And occasionally it goes the wrong way. And uh, I suppose an example of that from... Us being on the other side of it, the wrong side of it, would have been Geelong in 2007 at Cardinia Park when I think they were just trying to do whatever they had to to win the game and it just got a little bit out of their control at the wrong time. Yep. And so that's how you get those surprise losses. But um, I think there's no doubt we were just trying to bait them and they were, you know, Melbourne, they want to win. They want the win. They don't care if it's in Alice Springs in front of, you know, five people and a dog or whatever. They want, they want the win. And uh, if you make them feel like they might possibly get it, yeah, they've got a lot more to play for than we do. Credit to them, though. They, I thought their pack work and contested possession work was very good, especially after the uh, that first quarter, and uh, they really took it to us there. And I think they they probably um, did something that I haven't noticed a lot of teams do this year, where they seem to get a lot of uh, they had a lot of run through our last line of defence and and had people running open and free into goal. And I guess I don't know if that's again our work rate and fatigue that you just mentioned, Porsche, but. I noticed it seemed to be a bit more often with Melbourne than it has been for the rest of the year so far. I'd say it was definitely that fatigue and also Jonas out. I think those two things are enough for me. Yeah. I think we were also probably expecting a Melbourne turnover at some point. So a couple of players were sort of running the risk and the turnovers didn't happen and their opponent was standing there in the goal square for an easy Mm. goal. Well, look, was there any concern? You know, Melbourne got out to a 10-point lead late in the third quarter. Was there any concern that we weren't going to be able to get back into the game? No, because we did. 
Um, I, I mean, I didn't. I, I at no point did I have any doubt that we'd win this game. Honestly, you know, when we got those three goals up early on, I think I commented on the forum that it was going to be a nice, relaxing game. And you know, if you're not a, a panicker, um, which I, didn't, I tend not to be, then it, it was actually quite a relaxing game. You sort of thought, oh yeah, you know, we're just sort of doing what we have to because we'd have these little bursts. And again, thinking back to when Port were an absolutely terrible team, you'd sort of think, oh, you know, if it wasn't for that little burst of three goals they got, we would have won. And, you know, we were really controlling the game for, you know, most of the quarter and then they got that lucky three-goal burst and then they won. Well, that's not lucky. Let's let's be honest. That's just you're a better side and you are focusing on doing what needs to be done when it needs to be done. And I think that's exactly what we did. We did seem yeah. to have that sort of extra gear when we needed yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. And we've had that most of this year so far. So, I mean, I agree with Porsche. You can sort of see or feel patterns of games where, you know, you're really losing the um, grasp or the ability to win the game. And I didn't have that feeling with Melbourne. We were sort of on top. GWS was an, a similar sort of feeling as well. We we still seem to have a fair bit of control, even though the commentators were going on about their their love fest for Melbourne and, you know, supporting the underdog, I guess. But, um, yeah, and it was never a concern for me. I, um, you know, I was hoping we would have played a little bit better and I was glad Westhoff stood up in the last quarter and actually um, provided a bit of spark and, and influenced the scoreboard as well. Yeah. I know a lot of people on the forum were fairly critical of Jakey Need and how mm. he wasn't putting on a lot of pressure up forward, but... He was just about the only person that was sort of chasing, you know, and, and he was having to chase sort of two or three opponents, um, you know, one after the other. And, and there was pretty much no help from his teammates out there at all. Yep, that's fair. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, obviously you'd want need to do a bit more. Um, he's still, I think, very much in the position where he needs to prove himself. But, um, yeah, if no one else is doing it, it makes it very hard to convince the young guys that they should be. Um, it's one of the things we've had a problem with in the past, so... Yeah. But then again, the rest of the team, basically most of the rest of the team have played some really top-quality football on year, and Jake Nee doesn't have that excuse. So um, who knows? That's it. Well, look, what were the positives out of the game? Because obviously we won. We won reasonably comfortably in the end. Um, what were the positives to take out of it? Uh, yes. Yep. I thought he was fantastic. He was brilliant. Especially when we were playing underwhelming football in that second and third quarter. He just stood up time and time again, and he just contested and he just ran hard tried breaking the lines and you could just see that he was busting his gut out there and he he actually seemed to have another energy level that most of the other players on our team didn't have and i was just proud of watching him play yeah no he had a great effort i thought it was definitely his best all-round game um you know he had that sort of perfect blend of defense and attack um and some some of his offensive skills were fantastic I thought it was fantastic that we were able to win when we were struggling, especially when it looked like we were quite fatigued out there. I thought it was great that we were able to win um, with our structures, which were seemingly arse about. And it was great to be able to win with pretty much all of our leaders down except for Boke as well. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that, um, in a way, this is sort of follow-on from um, the last wrist-slitting podcast I did, which is against North Melbourne, where we... Said that uh, it felt like a ten-goal loss, but it was yeah, nowhere near that. It was only a narrow loss, and I think this is another one that would have been in other years. It would have been a you know four or five-goal loss, and we won it. Um, we're just that level above this year for some reason, and you'd have to say with this sort of consistency and why that is the case. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's we're playing as a team. Maybe it's the fitness. Maybe it's the the coaching direction. Whatever it is, but uh, it seems to be consistent week to week. Uh, 
we're having the same sort of ups and downs as we normally would, but it's just all at a higher level. So that's fantastic and um, puts us in good stead. Yep. How did you see uh, Aaron Young's game and his career progressing to date? Uh, he's a bit Brent Gero-ish, isn't he? Um, I think he's going to keep bobbing around the 22. I think he does some good things, and I wouldn't be surprised if he got traded at some point. Um, I'm just not sure. I think he's... I look, I like him. He's, I think he's a good enough player, but I think he's got to do something to really earn a spot because if you look at every position and say uh, Young should be playing there, um, I'm not convinced he necessarily beats them out at that position. I want more. And that's what I said on the forum. I'm not. I wasn't unhappy with what he did, but I want more of it. You know, mm. I, I I don't think he's like you're saying, Porsche. He's not really commanding a spot anywhere in the side. He's he's no. just sort of coasting and just doing something. But you know, I want to really see him drive. And and I, that was my point with Need Stewart Moore Young. All those guys coming back in the side, I mean, I don't want them canned after one game because sometimes it takes a couple of games to fit into the new, uh, you know, the senior side and, and the structure and pick up the pace. But, you know, Aaron's been around now for a while that he should know the tempo and the pace of the game and, you know, he should be able to exert more of what he's doing and he's not. And that's probably the uh, underwhelming thing with all of these guys at the moment that I've just listed. We just we just need to see a bit more drive from them. I really want them getting in the team and just really saying, this is my spot, you know, and Joe Bloggs oh. over there, he has oh. to force me out. I, I think you're being a little bit unfair, to be honest. I, I mean, he's played seven games this year and four of them are, he's been the sub. So it's hard to really command a spot when you're coming on in the last quarter, you know, every second game you play. <coughs> I also think that's a bit of a vice of supporters, which is that we like to believe players are a thing or one or two things. And I think that ultimately, um, you know, Young, he has been filling in in lots of different roles and there's still a place for that as well. Um, every good team has a couple of guys that can play all sorts of weird positions. Um, I think John Blakey was a classic one. He played all over the place. Yep. Um, so, yeah, look, you can't worry about that. I think that the most important thing is to just keep him getting the games because he'll be a fantastic substitute or half-back flanker or half-forward flanker or whatever we need him to be. Um, maybe even give him a go at tagging, see if he's got the fitness to do that, you know, absolutely. Um, I think that he's probably not going to be a master of any trade and I think that uh, if Neil Craig was coaching the side, he'd probably be in every week because he does a little bit of everything like he loved with the Crowbots. But uh, I think there's a place for that sort of player and I don't think we have too many, so I think we can probably carry Young for a while for sure. Yep. Well, what is his core position? He doesn't have one. That's what's good about him. He can play but a little bit of everything. If we, if we, if he could, if we could pick a position for him, what, what would that position be? I think his best position is as a clearance-winning midfielder. But we've got so many of them. But as Porsche says, I think you know he can play as a marking tall forward. He can play as a small forward. He can play on a back flank. He can play on a wing as well. Honestly, I think my personal preference, if I was going to say, okay, we're going to make a career for Aaron Young, it would be to get his fitness right up and put him in as a tagger because being a tagger is good. But it can also mean you're anywhere between half-back and half-forward at any point in the game. And as we just said, he's got a little bit of skill at all of that. Um, so anytime he's not actually you know, shutting someone down and he actually does get the ball, he'll probably be fairly useful in that position. I think that's what I'd like to see, and I'd really like to see him yeah, really get that fitness up so he could do that sort of role. Yep. How's, that, how's that versatility work for um, Paul Stewart? Uh, I don't think it has worked for Paul Stewart. I think he's suffering a bit from the pedigrees. I think that um, he has had his formative football experience in a very bad time for the club and he hasn't come through it. 
Um, I don't think he's going to be with us for a lot longer. Well, I think he's 27 now. Yeah, well, that's it. You would mm. think that Paul Stewart would be an absolute Monty to uh, leave at the end of the year through free agency, I would think. Oh, yeah, even on a two-year or three-year contract to some terrible club, for sure. I mean, he can play every week for Brisbane or St Kilda, someone like that. Yeah, no mm. doubt. And if, and if he did play every week for somewhere like that and uh, he got a you know, nice spot in the back pocket or something, he could actually be quite good. Um, but I don't think... I think it would take too much too much time and too much investment to get a 27-year-old to the point that he's worth um, having saying this is his position when he's 30 years old. Yep. Um, we've got younger guys coming through that was probably better investment for us as far as that goes. Mm. And Jasper Pittard, mate, how did you see his game? <laughs> yeah, I was quite happy with Jasper. And, uh, you know, I mean, everyone's obviously very critical of uh, Jasper, but I know even the haters had a quiet week on... Uh, on his performance this week, so hopefully uh, he uh, he can back it up this week against St Kilda. And I mean, as a positive, <laughs> I think it's it's fantastic that he's actually becoming a durable player now. Um, he was one of those crew that was uh, always getting injured and struggling, and his durability is really improving. So um, that's fa- that's fantastic, and uh, I'm expecting good things from him this week against St Kilda. And I was ultimately impressed with uh, uh, Loby's hands as well, Macca. Don't you? Didn't you think his around the ground work was stunning this week? It was better than it has been pretty much all year. Mm. Though I do think Jamo got the best of him in the actual ruck contest. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, I'd also say, Rick, I think that Pittard. You've made a real rod for your back just saying you're going to be the Jasper Pittard fan because I don't think it's going to change anytime soon how he plays. I think he's always going to have those clangers. It's going to make, you know, 50% of Port fans just go completely insane and have their brains explode. Um, Yeah, you're going to be saying that every week, I reckon. How's Pittard going? You'll be going, oh, he's fine. It's all right. I've I've got thick skin, Portia. I'm uh, I'm happy to defend the uh, defendable and the indefensible. I'll, uh, I'll keep fighting the fight. Until oh. I win everybody over. He plays a high-risk, high-reward game. And uh, okay. he must be doing something right for uh, Ken Heakley to keep him in the side because everyone else would drop him if they had their way now, but Ken keeps him in there, so he must be doing something that the coach wants. Yeah, yeah that's fair if you, if you think he's doing what the coach wants, but I, I just sort of hope that it's... Uh... Look, it could be one of those things you say, look, he's young, he's smart, he's got the fitness, he's got a bit of talent, but we're going to give him this much chance to work out what he's doing and get it right. And then after that, if he's still doing that, do you still play him, you know? In five years' time, if he's still making the same sort of mistakes that he's doing now, do you see a spot for him in the side? Hmm. You asking me to test my loyalty? Yes, I am. Um... I I can see a spot in the side as long as he's providing that run and drive because I think that's a very important part and I don't think there's um, a direct replacement in our our squad yet um, for providing that run off the half-back flank uh, like he provides. Cam (coughs) O'Shea. Who? Cam O'Shea. Completely different players. (laughs) uh, I agree. Not even comparable. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, but Jasper's sort of uh, Cam was where Jasper was in relation to his disposal and it being questioned for a, a period of time. Then it was the second half of last season where uh, 
Cam uh, really stood up and uh, and uh, and sort of changed that around. And you know, Jasper's uh, Jasper's performances uh, are very serviceable for AFL level. And yes, he's making his the odd mistake still every now and again, but he's providing us that run and carry. And ultimately, I'd like us to both be happy and oh. have Cam and Jasper oh, in the okay. same defensive unit providing oh, oh, oh. and carry. I'll give my description of what I see as the difference between Cam and uh, Jasper. With Cam O'Shea, I had always felt confident in him after that first season because you could see that the mistakes he was making was because he was getting into key positions for the play. So he's getting into the play and mistakes were resulting from that because he didn't have the experience or whatever else. I think the main thing that gets on people's uh, backs about Jasper is that, yes, he does a bit of that, but also he makes his own mistakes. Like he creates the whole situation for it to go wrong. Uh, I think that's a big difference between the two. And Got an example abs- of that? Uh, do I have an example of that? Absolutely not right now. No, I don't well, have the video put on obviously tape. Obviously, you're just making stuff up and it's not true. <laughs> oh, come oh, on. Oh, okay. Well, there's a, what, there was one thing last uh, couple of weeks ago. There's probably he, about 40 examples of Peter yeah. running himself into uh, trouble and stuffing something up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and not, and not this because is he was why his game seen... on the weekend was so bloody good, because he used his instinct. He used that yeah. first give every time, and it was fantastic. It was his best yeah. game for the club, in my opinion. Yeah, that's fair, I reckon. I reckon that's exactly right. But, the, yeah, that's the difference. I think Cam Shea, he gets in the positions where you can either do something good or do something bad, but Jasper creates those positions, I think. Mm. You're not holding that missed tackle against Max Gone against him, are you? Not at all. But I'm glad you realised it was there. Yeah, but I mean, there's about what a four <laughs> kilo weight differential and about a ten inch height differential between the, yeah. the two players. That's fine. But, yeah, but anyway, I think we all agree he had a good game, and yep. hopefully he backs it up against St Kilda with another great game. Yes, hopefully. And I want him. That, I want him to step up in that category too of being consistently good every week. And uh, he's showing us glimpses, and he's still less than 50 games. So hopefully, uh, you know, in the half a season's time, uh, some of those mistakes that people pick on, um, you know, which aren't his fault, there are other players' fault that cause those mistakes, they won't be there at all. (laughs) And that's the Jasper Pittard corner for another week. Hey, and I didn't bring it up. True. True. I'll just say that. What am I, I didn't doing? bring it up. I'm going to edit out the entire conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get on to our best players. Uh, Porsche, I'll start with you. Who was your top five? Uh, top five, I'm not too sure, but I'd definitely put Robbie Gray out there as my number one. Um, I don't think there's any doubt he's really good form for us right now. Um, after that, I really kind of struggled, to be honest. Um, Travis Boak? Yeah, Boak was pretty good. Absolutely. Yeah, sorry, MP. So MP got my uh, number two, I suppose. But after that, I think that, I don't know, I, I don't think there were too many, this is a fantastic performance, guys. So I find it very hard to give votes to people that I don't think are playing absolutely out of their skin. So yep. can I just leave it at two? Yeah, if you want. That's all right. <laughs> I will do. Done. Rick, what about you, mate? Uh, look, I'm going I'm to give Trav the number one, the number one. Um, you know, I thought playing under duress, as he did, you know, he really lifted the side and it was a great captain's performance uh, by Travis. Uh, I had Jarman Impey as second. Uh, I was just really impressed with, you know, our first-year players' game and maturity. Uh, Robbie Gray, third. Um, Matty Broadbent, I thought, came back and played a bit more reasonable football until I would know how he played. 
And uh, I thought Jasper deserved fifth spot. Great game. Yep. <clears throat> All good calls there. Um, for me, I thought Brody was our best player. Um, I had him best on ground. It was certainly the best four-quarter game um, of anyone out on the park on the day and certainly his best four-quarter game for the year as well. I thought he got his teammates out of jail quite a, uh, quite a few times. Um, and I loved his reading of the play. It was back to its best. Um, I had uh, Matty White second best on. Uh, like Brody, I thought he took the game on with his pace and it was pretty crucial in the end. He had a pretty big impact in that last quarter. Uh, Robbie Gray was excellent once again, super consistent in his 100th game. Uh, two goals, a couple of co- uh, score assists, uh, plenty of great play across half forward and through the midfield as well. Uh, Jasper Pittard, fourth best. Um, as I said, I thought that was probably his best performance um, for Port Adelaide. It was certainly his most mature performance. Um, fantastic instinct. Gave the first give every time. And Jarman Impey. I thought that was definitely his best uh, all-round performance uh, at AFL level to date in his first year. Well, yeah. who? Jasper got in the best players. Absolutely. Should have been That's three why I out of three. three. That's why I stopped at two, so I didn't have to name Jasper. <laughs> yeah, but we all know it's a conspiracy. You don't want to give him votes because you're trying to push for Cam O'Shea to get back in the side. I totally am. Well, how is Cam going in the SANFL? I don't know a lot about it, to be honest. I don't know why he's not playing in the top side, but it's obviously for some reason, so... Hmm. Mm. Macca? Well, I think there was a bit of talk going around that he had a bit of a groin issue um, to start the year, and that's why he missed out. Then he came in for a couple of games and got dropped um, sort of inexplicably and hasn't been seen since. And his mm. former SANFL level has been very, very good. Certainly uh, since he got dropped, it's been excellent. Mm. Mm. I'd expect him to come back in this week. Do we have anything else Port-related? No. No? No. So uninspiring, guys. Well, you know, there's nothing. There's no reason to be inspired right now. I think we're all just uh, hanging in there for the finals. Well, what about the uh, what about the Melbourne players um, uh, point kicking with the with the um, torpedo, which uh, went down like a lead balloon with uh, Paul Ruse? <laughs> I thought that was quite humorous. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's the opposite of a Paul Ruse uh, strategy, isn't it? Mm. Mm. All right. Well, Portia, thanks for coming back on. No problem. It's been fun as always. It certainly Ma- has. Macca's keen to wrap it up, keep the missus happy, I reckon. True. <laughs> I haven't had a cuddle with uh, Hamish yet today, so Aww. I want to go and have a cuddle. Yeah, do that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reuniting with Tango as well. <laughs> give, give her a, a big cuddle too. That was my I will. <laughs> I can't wait for the return of Tango. We need Tango. Tango will be back next week. That's why I had my go at Jasper this week, so Tango couldn't just interrupt me the whole time. Oh, she would have been squealing. Good planning. I couldn't believe some people were saying that Tango actually wasn't real. I mean, what's going on there? Jokers. Can you you do a pig impression, Rick, or or not? I lost my ability to do anything high pitch about 15 years ago, so I'm not even going to try. There you go. That's about as close as I can get. I should get Rambo into the party. I could go outside and do the podcast and get Rambo the pet sheep onto the show. <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to kick him or something to get him in the bar, though. But, Are you um, Dr. Doolittle, honestly? I try. What I, I'm gunning for a pet emu. Oh, I would I love. Emu. 
I would love to get an emu. I reckon they're great animals. Wouldn't it be cool to say, I've got a pet emu? Uh, I mean, how do you, you respond say that to anyway. that? <laughs> <laughs> hey? I don't know how to respond to that. A pet yeah. emu. Well, wouldn't it be great to have a pet emu? I reckon it would be fantastic. I, I drive past one every day and uh, there's two of them at Ch- on Chain- the Chain of Ponds Road and they're always there eating grass on the side of the road uh, and always look at them and they're just beautiful animals. I'd love to, uh, I'd love to have one or two here on the, uh, on the farm. That'd be nice. I don't think, I, I don't think I'd got... want to have any animal that was bigger than I was. That'd just I've, be worrying. I've got two alpacas already. Mm. Oh. So uh, that's a llama, isn't it, an alpaca? Are you talking about pretty the Tintin much. ones with the two heads? Nah, pretty much. That's it. Are they actually real? Or are they fictional characters? The alpacas? No, the llamas. The Tintin oh. llamas where they had two heads. Oh, what do you mean two heads? Two Didn't heads. It, I'm sure they're with the, t- you know, the Tintin cartoons. Yeah, I know them. Clearly oh. there is nothing alive. <laughs> Which has two heads, Rick. Well, not Simon the or something. Unless, well, unless there's some sort of scientific thing that's gone wrong. Yeah. But there's not something which... alive where it has two heads all the time. Well, like, yeah, it's designed to have exist. two heads. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the Tintin cartoon had like alpacas, but they had a. You're talking about a cartoon. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. Well, Did you need everything... glasses at a really young age or something, Rick? Or like, everything... is that how your parents knew you needed to get some prescription lenses? Or everything I read's real. Do sponges really wear square pants? I don't know. <laughs> don't know. Come on. Rick probably knows. <laughs> of course he's, he's got do. a pet sponge. So. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I always think it's when people start talking about sponges. <laughs> when Elaine went on her collection mission because they were getting phased out. Oh. <laughs> All right. I'll leave it at that. Until next time. Okay. <laughs> Can't port Adelaide. Go port. Can the power. Goes back. Lockwood can unload. Oh, he goes to the top. Well, they put it and they held the ball up. They had no one to kick it to. There was about four or five.